podcast, where you'll hear truly scary stories that you cannot get out of your head. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. I am one of those weirdos who finds grocery shopping extremely relaxing. I love nothing more than to clear my afternoon and spend a leisurely hour or so slowly perusing the aisles, dreaming up a menu that I won't follow through with, but will buy all of the ingredients for anyway. I'm sure my therapist would say it has something to do with feeding and caring for my inner child, but whatever the reason, I love grocery shopping. I was enjoying my bi-monthly moment of zen at my favorite grocery store the first time it happened. My cart was half full of organic produce that I knew would languish in the crisper drawer too long and eventually wilt, and I was rounding the corner into the bulk goods aisle when I felt my phone vibrate in my back pocket. I paused, unwilling to allow myself to be distracted in the bulk goods aisle, and pulled my phone out of my pocket. It took me a moment to register what I was looking at, as it's not something I would expect to see on my phone in public, but it was a notification that someone named Jordan Jimmy was trying to share a photo album through AirDrop. The thumbnail looked like some kind of meme, and my curiosity immediately got the best of me, so I accepted the album without hesitation. The phone opened and I flinched so hard I dropped my phone. My phone made a loud thwack as it hit the concrete, but mercifully it wasn't shattered when I picked it up with my shaking hand. I paused for a moment before I swiped to reveal my home screen, trying to convince myself that I hadn't just seen what I thought I'd seen. In the brief moment that I had the airdropped album open on my phone, I swore I'd seen six or seven photos of dismembered body parts and a line of what looked like human teeth. Is there anything worse than psyching yourself up to do something you really, truly don't want to do with every cell and molecule in your body and soul? But I had no choice in that moment. I had to confirm that I'd just been sent an album of potential crime scene photos from a stranger in a grocery store in broad daylight. I looked around me quickly to see if I could spot a group of snickering teens or a lecherous man getting off on terrifying an unsuspecting woman, But other than a young mother and her daughter, I was alone in the aisle. I took a moment to scan the nearby aisles for any nefarious-looking shoppers, but once again, it was just a middle-aged woman, a kind-looking man with two kids in tow, and an elderly couple spending an enormous amount of time inspecting the soup selection. It dawned on me that maybe what I'd seen was a couple of those weird AI-generated images that had been circulating on the internet for the past couple of weeks. People were typing scary things into a generator, and it was producing images that were vaguely gruesome that looked like bloody crime scenes or something from the pits of hell, but were ultimately so abstract and distorted that they weren't really anything at all. My brother-in-law had been texting them to me the week before, and I wondered if these were just more that he'd scrounged up on the internet to creep me out on a Saturday afternoon. I took a breath, steadied myself, and swiped up. Tears filled my eyes as my brain registered exactly what I was looking at, and the top photo was definitely four human fingers lined up in the order they would occur had they been attached to a human hand. But they weren't. 
They were severed from the hand they'd originally belonged to and were laid out neatly on what looked like a common dining room table in an apartment much like mine. I slapped my hand over my mouth to stifle a scream, clicked my phone shut and shoved it into my purse. I ran from the grocery store, abandoning the groceries I'd so carefully curated and locked myself in my car on the verge of hyperventilating. What do I do? What do I do? I asked myself and shoved my purse to the other side of my car, not wanting to be anywhere near the image I'd just seen. I wanted to call my mom, but that would require using my phone and potentially having to see those pictures again. So instead, I sat trembling in my car as the spring rain suddenly started falling all around me. After a few terrible minutes of fighting off the panic and claustrophobia that was rising inside of me, I made up my mind to go to the police and turned on my car. I had a terrible feeling that they wouldn't take me seriously, but I had to try on the off chance that the photos were real and someone was in danger. Or worse. After a 45-minute wait, the officer that I spoke to at the station was nice enough, but still incredibly condescending, as he swiped through the photos like he was looking at images of a coworker's new baby, rather than what appeared to be a dismembered woman, and then handed the phone back to me and immediately declared them a hoax. We see stuff like this all the time, he said from across the counter that separated us. It's usually just bored teens who are really good at finding horrible stuff online and use it to scare strangers. Social media is turning everyone into trolls, if you ask me. He gave me an impatient half-smile that made it clear he wanted me to accept his explanation and move on. But they look so real, I argued, weakly, knowing full well that I'd be leaving within the next five minutes. They always do, sweetie, he said, adding the sweetie for extra condensation. These kids are prank masters, he shook his head and smiled wistfully. I can't imagine what my friends and I would have done if we had the internet back in the day. I shivered at his nonchalance, murmured a thank you, and went back out into the rain, humiliated and no less scared than I'd been when I'd arrived at the station. I sat in my car in the pouring rain until my windows had fogged up so much that I couldn't see a single thing outside of my car. My mind raced to try to figure out what to do next, but everything felt so strange and unsafe that I decided I had no choice but to believe the officer and brush the horrible photos off as a joke. It was more likely that some kids had staged them with Halloween prop or found them in the dark recesses of the internet and were spending a bored Saturday watching people like me get scared out of their minds than it was that they were an actual threat. I took a deep breath, turned on my defroster, and let it run while I calmed myself down enough to drive myself home. Once I was back in my house with the door locked, I pulled up the photos and only looked at them long enough to be able to use the delete function on my phone to get rid of them forever. I sighed again, feeling slightly better once they were gone, and texted my most fun friend, Lydia, to see what she was doing, knowing it was probably best to get my mind off of the gruesome photos. Sure enough, Lydia responded seconds later, like she always did, encouraging me to meet her and some friends at a local bar, complete with an excessive amount of exclamation points and party-related emojis. I smiled, feeling much better already, and changed into an outfit that was suitable for staying out way too late and having way too much fun. I crashed on Lydia's couch that night because I managed to get too drunk to find my way home and wasn't too keen on staying alone anyway. I woke up when my phone buzzed on the coffee table next to my face, and as I opened my eyes, I swiped at the pile of drool I'd made next to my sweaty cheek, pressed against Lydia's leather sofa. 
It felt way too early to wake up, but the spring sun was bright through the window and I immediately knew I was too dehydrated to go back to sleep, so I peeled my face off the sticky leather, grabbed my phone, and sat up. My eyes focused to reveal the alert on my phone and I suddenly became very awake and very sober when I saw another airdrop request from Jordan Jimmy in the center of the screen. This time it was just one photo, but it was more awful than the ones I'd been sent the day before. It appeared to be the face of a brunette woman around my age staring directly into the camera. Her face filled the entire frame of the photo, and it appeared that someone was pulling back the sides of her mouth to force a distorted smile beneath her terrified eyes. This time, I screamed. Lydia came crashing down her stairs from her bedroom in a panic and found me sobbing on the couch. I just held out my phone to her, unable to speak from the fear that flooded my body. Holy shit, she said, and threw the phone on the couch, recoiling from the image on the screen. What the fuck is that? After a few minutes of fighting off a panic attack, I was able to collect myself enough to tell her about what had happened the day before. I was so desperate to forget about it and have a good time while we were out that I kept it to myself, trying my hardest to write it off as a prank. This isn't a prank, though, I said and stared into her eyes, the magnitude of what was happening to me starting to sink in. This wasn't some random bored kid in a grocery store. Whoever was doing this followed me to my friend's house 24 hours later. Not to mention the woman in the photo who was clearly in serious trouble. I'm calling the police, Lydia said with determination, switching into her get shit done mode that I appreciated so much. The police arrived 20 minutes later and while they seemed slightly more concerned than the officer I'd spoken to the day before, they were hardly calling in a SWAT team to find the missing woman and whoever was terrorizing me. Did you break up with a boyfriend lately or piss off a coworker? one of them asked. No, Jesus, this isn't a dumb prank, I insisted, starting to tremble with rage as much as I was fear. I don't have any enemies and this isn't some harmless trolling. Look at her, I almost screamed and shoved my phone toward them. She's in trouble. Can't you look through your missing persons or something? She could be dead by now. One of the officers handed me their card and said, we'll be filing a report and would appreciate it if you'd email us that photo and any other photos or information you've received. Don't you want to trace the number? I asked, growing more and more frantic as I realized they weren't going to do anything for me. Yes, ma'am, please email me whatever information you have and I'll look into it. In the meantime, maybe you could stay with a family member or something until this blows over. But they followed me here, I said as my voice continued to rise. What good would that do? They'll just follow me. I could see their annoyance grow as my panic became more apparent and knew with a thick pit in my stomach that I was screwed. They had written me off as a dumb party girl who was being trolled by some boy she'd ignored at a bar and wasn't worth their time. I looked down at my rumpled dress from the night before and imagined that my makeup was probably streaked all over my face like a distorted clown. I started to cry as the resignation set in. They both softened a bit at the sight of my tears, but still closed their notebooks and left, offering weak and useless words of encouragement on their way out. Lydia triple locked the door behind them and turned to me wide-eyed. What are you going to do? She asked and slid next to me on the couch. You can stay here as long as you need, you know. No, they know I'm here, I said, and the gravity of the impossibility of the situation grew even heavier. My head was starting to throb as my hangover fully kicked in, making it even harder to figure out what to do. 
Take my car, Lydia said with sudden clarity. Your car is parked out front and mine is in the garage, so if they're watching, they won't know it's you. I nodded slowly, grateful for Lydia taking charge. We have the same hair, so just wear my hat and sunglasses and they'll never know the difference, she said and started to gather the things I'd need to make my strange escape. But where will I go? I asked, still foggy from my hangover and the fear that I was trying my best to keep at bay. The lake house, she said as she thrust her sunglasses into my hands and placed a ball cap on my head. No one uses it this time of year, and you can stay there for a couple of days while they get bored and move on. Trolls have the attention span of gnats. When they can't find you, they'll just go find some other poor girl to harass. Just call your boss and tell them there's been a personal emergency, which is true. Take a couple of days, and when you get back, life will be back to normal, and it'll be like this never happened. Gratitude flooded my body, and Lydia's words did make sense. These creeps were getting off on me being afraid. They clearly loved watching me panic in public and wanted me to call the cops. I've read about trolls who make fake bomb threats on innocent people just to watch the SWAT team descend on the person's home and tear their day apart. Oh my god, you're right, I said and nodded harder. God, you're a genius, Lydia. What would I do without you? I said and hugged her tight, fighting back tears. We exchanged keys so she could use my car if she needed to while I was gone. Then she pulled one of her oversized sweatshirts over my dress, punched the address for the lake house in my phone, hugged me again, and opened the garage door so I could make my escape, disguised behind her massive sunglasses. I took a deep breath as I pulled out of her driveway, trying my best to look casual, and just like any other young woman on the way to run an errand, instead of a refugee fleeing a cyber bully. The lake house was just over an hour away, and by the time I arrived, I felt considerably better, physically and mentally. I'd been to Lydia's family's lake house once before for a girl's trip, and it's exactly what you'd picture when you think of a vacation house on a lake. I smiled a little as the tasteful modern farmhouse came into view with the lake shimmering behind it in the early spring sun. If I had to hide from cyber creeps for a couple of days, this was the best possible place to do it. I used the code Lydia had given me to enter the house and disable the alarm and smiled again as I dropped my bags in the massive whitewashed entryway with vaulted ceilings and the comforting smell of wood and leather hit me. I texted Lydia that I had arrived and told her again that she was a genius, then made my way into the kitchen to start a pot of coffee to enjoy on the back deck overlooking the lake. I'd left so quickly I hadn't brought anything with me but my phone and a couple of pairs of yoga pants and sweatshirts that Lydia had loaned me. But one entire wall of the living room was filled with books, so I chose one with a National Book Award sticker on the front and settled into an oversized Adirondack chair in the back. At some point I dozed off while reading and woke with a start as it took me a moment to register my surroundings. I checked my phone and breathed a heavy sigh of relief when there were only a couple of alerts for text messages from my friends and no awful airdrop notifications for albums full of dismembered women. I shivered and then cleared the thought from my head, determined to put the awfulness behind me and enjoy my last-minute retreat as much as possible. The sun was setting over the lake, so I retrieved a blanket to tuck over my lap while I enjoyed the sky changing color as the sun disappeared. Once it was dark outside, I built a fire in the massive fireplace and made myself a makeshift meal of some boxed rice I found in the pantry. By the time I crawled in between the soft sheets of the king-size bed that night, I was feeling relaxed and happy and so grateful for the break after the strangeness of the previous days. 
I slept in the next morning and took a few minutes to relax in the extremely comfortable bed before heading downstairs to start my morning coffee and find another scenic place to read the rest of my book. My stomach started protesting a couple of hours later and I realized I'd only had coffee and boxed rice to eat for over 24 hours, so I found a grocery store on my phone and decided to walk there to get some fresh air and pick up some supplies to make sandwiches. The store was a 20-minute walk from the house and I enjoyed looking at the charming lake cottages along the way and allowed myself to dream about the day that I could afford to own something like that for myself. I got myself some lovely local bread, meat, and cheese at the market, then made my way back to the house contemplating making myself a picnic to eat on the dock when I got home. When I rounded the line of trees that framed the driveway that led up to the house, I froze. There was a young man in work clothes standing in front of the house, staring toward the road with an expressionless face. I sighed with relief when I saw the leaf blower in his hand and then waved as I walked toward him. He stared toward the street with the same blank expression for a couple of seconds, then snapped his head toward me and smiled when he registered that I was walking toward him. Hi there, I called and waved again. I'm a friend of the family. They said I could stay here for a couple of days. I hope I won't be in your way. No, ma'am, not a problem at all he said, and the blank look returned to his eyes for a beat before the smile returned. I'm just here to do some spring cleaning. I'll try my best not to bother you. Do whatever you need to do, I said as I headed toward the door. I promise to stay out of your way. I flashed him another smile and a wave, but my smile faltered slightly as his eyes seemed to cloud over again as they followed me toward the house. He nodded slightly and then turned on the leaf blower, the sound of the engine killing any more opportunity for small talk. I paused again once I got to the door to look back at him and then laughed at myself for feeling so spooked out by the lawn boy. He didn't seem like the brightest bulb, but he was clearly totally harmless. I made myself a sandwich as the sound of the leaf blower whirred outside of the kitchen window. I decided to forego the picnic on the dock and instead arrange myself in one of the Adirondack chairs to eat my sandwich while I read my book. Eventually, the lawn boy made his way around to the side of the house, and I gave him a wave as he came into view. He just stared at me for a moment before turning away and then blowing a large pile of leaves that had accumulated along the fence. I shrugged, and as I did, it dawned on me that the locals probably didn't love the rich city people who infested their town every summer and treated them like hired help instead of actual humans with thoughts and feelings. I made a mental note to be extra nice to my contractors when the day came that I could afford my own weekend getaway and then sunk back into my book, which was getting better by the page. The sound of the leaf blower continued to whir around me, and at one point I realized that it hadn't changed for a few minutes and looked in the direction it was coming from. The lawn boy was standing perfectly still, staring straight at me, while the leaf blower dangled in his hand by his side. For a half of a moment, I wondered if he was having a seizure or something, but then the smirk began to spread across his lips, and an awful little spark filled his eyes. I waved nervously as his eyes continued to bore into me, and then eventually I gathered up my stuff and went inside, while continuing to try to convince myself that he was harmless. He continued to stare as I locked the French doors that led to the deck, and I gave him one more nervous wave because my weird feminine urge to be polite took over. A minute later... I heard his truck door slam, and then he drove away. I breathed a sigh of relief as he pulled out of the driveway and sent Lydia a text that said, Your parents' lawn guy is a real trip. She wrote back almost immediately, OMG, that guy has always given me the creeps. 
real Children of the Corn vibes. To which I responded a simple LOL, but I felt much better knowing that this was his typical behavior and I wasn't the first lake house visitor to get the creeps from him. I spent the afternoon reading and then took a walk by the lake, collecting beach glass and small fossils along the way. I made myself another sandwich for dinner and then spent some time on my phone mindlessly scrolling TikTok and checking in with friends. I decided I'd leave the next day and take my time getting home to give my cyberstalkers a couple more hours to get really bored and then move on. My teenage cousins could barely sit through an entire movie, let alone wait around for three whole days for the object of their cruel prank to return, so I was pretty sure they would have moved on to torment someone else after so much time. I went to bed early and felt a weird gratitude toward the jerks who'd been harassing me back home because they forced me to take a mini vacation that I didn't know that I'd needed. It was nice to spend some time alone with nothing to do but read and stare at the water. I made another mental note to do that for myself more often and climbed into the luxurious bed to go to sleep. I awoke to the sound of my phone alerting me of something in the middle of the night. The sound was turned up to full volume, which was strange because I never turned on my sound at all, let alone to full volume. I opened my eyes and I felt my way toward the beacon of light shining from my phone on the nightstand. I rubbed the sleep from my eyes so they would focus and almost screamed when I saw what was on the screen of my phone. There was an alert that someone was trying to send me an airdrop, and the image was very clearly a close-up of my sleeping face. She's going to be a good one, a female voice said from across the room. I screamed and scrambled out of bed and as far away from the source of the voice as I possibly could. Who are you? I demanded, my voice almost unrecognizable from panic. Yeah, I got a real good look at her today and she's a looker. The photos are going to be great, another man's voice said. Let's get started, said another man with a booming voice from the other corner of the room. I whipped my head toward the voice and my eyes had adjusted enough to see the outlines of figures in the corner of the room. I couldn't be sure because my vision was swimming from fear, but I swore I saw four or five people lined up in the room facing me. Three more were standing in the other corner, whispering between themselves. We need to get started now, the booming voice said. They need three more before he visits next month. Now let's get going before the sun comes up. I thought they just wanted more meat this month, the other male voice said. More meat, yes, the booming voice said, but also a show. They always want a show. I jumped up and scrambled to open the nearby window, but it was far too late. Two sets of hands reached up and pulled me back as I screamed a scream that no one who could help me would ever hear. story was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Courtney Eck. For more scary stories that you cannot get out of your head, please join our Patreon at patreon backslash please leave pod. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at please leave pod. Our email is please leave pod at gmail.com and our website is please leave pod.com. This has been a Two Penguins Media Production. Wow.